Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. The Shepherd team, the next big project that they're working on is creating a membership process. So uh, we have been around for over four and a half years now, and you always want to be careful. Like there's a lot of pressure when you first start a church where you, you have to have a membership process. You have to have people in your, your membership, membership roster, and it's better, I think, just to slow down and be careful about doing that too fast. It's better to have a community of people that knows and trusts one another that can begin talking about that. Um, when you become a Christian, you get this mystical union with Jesus. That means you are united together with Jesus at a mystical spiritual level in which you can ne- never be separated from him. So one of the things that we call the church is a mystical body. The church is a, is a community of individual members that are united together in a mystical way through the Holy Spirit in Christ. We are one body with a lot of different people. Now, you could drive all over Wayne County and you would see different gatherings of people in this mystical body of Christ, which is universal, everybody in Christ. But in different gatherings, in different buildings right now, all over Wayne County are people who are part of that universal mystical body in Christ, and they're saying, we're choosing to live together, we're choosing to do life together, we're choosing to care for one another. We're gathering in these different pockets. In the first century church, when they would do communion, they would have a huge loaf of bread. This home church would take a big chunk out of it for their group, and then they would bring the group of the, the big piece of bread to the next group, the next home church, and they would do the same thing so that everybody, they were symbolizing, everybody's part of the same body of Christ. So that's why there's no, there's, there's no like comparison in the body of Christ. We're not competing with other churches. We are all members of the body of Christ. We're part of this mystical body. And so uh, we rejoice in that. And we, we cheer loudly for every church that is proclaiming Jesus as Lord. All right. We're walking through the book of James. So you can turn there in your Bibles, you can turn on your phone if you promise not to do anything but look at your Bible, walking through the book of James. Let me review what we've learned so far in James. One, we've learned that God uses trials in our lives to mature us. God does not waste pain. God does not waste suffering. He uses these trials to make us more spiritually mature. And he asks us, he invites us to ask him for wisdom and perspective on these trials, so that we have a better idea of what he's doing, so we have a better idea of where he's trying to mature us. And the goal of these trials is wisdom and maturity. And as we mature spiritually, our life gets more and more rich with meaning. We become more and more powerful people because a spiritually mature person is someone that God can trust with more power. And last week, the, the passage was about the fact that every other pursuit in life is meaningless. And it was specifically the vanity of chasing after meaning through wealth or other worldly means. But it's really anything that you would chase after other than God that you are depending on that thing to bring you purpose and meaning and power. Your goal as a follower of Jesus 
is to become spiritually mature and to honor God with your life through your maturity. That's your goal. So there's two things I want to add about the book of James, which I totally forgot about, but I was listening to someone teach about this from out west, uh, this, the, a church that I really like, and I didn't even realize they were going through James, so I went back a few weeks and I listened to their intro, and he said something that completely reminded me of something that I learned a long time ago. Do you know what James, you know what his nickname was? Old Camel Knees. Old Camel Knees. Now that's really, really weird, but if you look at a camel's knees... There's like, it looks like there's a patch that's worn off. James was called old camel knees because he spent so much time praying on his knees. He spent so much time in prayer that that was his nickname. That's what the early disciples of Jesus called James. Now that's significant because we're talking about the first pastor of a Christian church in Jerusalem. And what he was known for was his constant ceaseless prayer. That tells you something about church leadership. It tells you something about what our priorities should be. But it also tells you something about the book of James because the book of James is going to be getting more and more practical and he's going to give us a ton of application. But to remove this application from a life that is committed to and dedicated to prayer is going to mean you're going to be trying to do it like you're going to try to apply scripture in your own power. You're going to try to obey scripture in your own power, which is not honoring to Jesus. It's not Christian to obey the law laid out in scripture if you are not doing it in the power in the grace of Jesus. It's not. You're exalting yourself. If you're saying, I can obey this in my own power, first of all, no, you can't. And second of all, you're not exalting Jesus. You're exalting yourself. You're saying, I don't really need him. The whole book of Galatians was written about that. Paul said in Galatians, you know you were saved by faith. Now you think you can live this out by faith? It's a demonic doctrine. It's not true. So we exercise faith in order to obey. And we see this man who is committed to, to prayer, which means he was committed to asking God for help to obey all the things that he's writing us. So you can't, you can't remove all the application, the, all the ways he's asking us to obey God um, from the fact that he was continually dependent upon Jesus through prayer. All right, there's something else I wanted to say, but I'm going to save it for next week because it's gonna, it's, I'm going to get long-winded. I'm going to start preaching before I even start preaching. Turn to James 1, chapter 12 through 15. And does, is anybody warm in here? Is anybody? Is it just me? I feel like I'm on the hot seat then. Okay, it's, it's, Alex is always warm. Anybody else? Okay, Matt's like three guys. What's up? <laughs> Tina, I know you were. Okay, so, all right, we're good. We're good. James 1, 12 through 15. James 1, 12 through 15. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. There's that word again, steadfast. Remember, when we talk about the word steadfast, the Greek, the Greek word implies a heavy load that you're carrying, right? This is what steadfast is. You're carrying a heavy load, and you're not going to put it down. You're going to let the load do its job. It's going to exercise your endurance muscles to be able to handle whatever trial you're going through without trying to, you know, 
squirm out from underneath it. That's steadfast. So blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, that image of fishing. And there's a hook you're luring the fish onto the hook, and that's, that's this image, that's this picture of temptation, enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives, brings forth death. Let's start with verse 12. Blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I want you to notice the word that God has paired with the word trial. It's another T word. I love this sermon because there's a lot of alliteration. What's the T word that goes with trial? Did anybody catch it? Test. So if you're filling in the blanks, here's your first blank to fill in. In every trial, there is a test of our trust and faith in God. In every trial, there is a seed in there that it was a test of our trust and faith in God. We see this way back in Genesis 22 when God asked Abraham to do something very difficult, and that is to sacrifice his son. Now, God was never going to make him go through with this. This is actually an image, a foretaste, a foreshadow of Jesus, because we see Isaac with Abraham, they're carrying wood up this hill for this sacrifice. Much, much, much later, we see Jesus carrying wood up a hill as the ultimate sacrifice. So this is a forepicture of that event. But it was a test for Abraham, because God told Abraham, you're going to have a ton of family through Isaac. In fact, through Isaac, we're going to bless the entire world. There's going to be more descendants than all the stars in the sky or the, the sand on all the beaches of the world. It's going to be huge through Isaac. And then God says, Abraham, take Isaac up on this hill and sacrifice him. Abraham knew that God said he would bless the world through Isaac. Now what Abraham thought, according to Hebrews 11, Abraham went ahead and did it. He went through with it. And it's in your notes. You can read the passage or you can read it on your own. Genesis 2, 22, 1 through 3. Abraham was going through with it. And then the angel of the Lord said from heaven, stop, stop, stop. I know you're going to do it now. Abraham turned around. There was a ram caught in the bushes, so he sacrificed that. But he was going to go through with it. Why was he going to go through with it? Hebrews 11 tells us because he believed that even if he did sacrifice Isaac, Jesus, God, God, would, bring, God would bring him back to life. So he knew somehow, even if Isaac died, God would bring him back. That's Hebrews 11, 17, and 19. So it was a test. God was asking Abraham, do you Trust me. In every trial, there is a test of our trust and our faith in God. 
This is a great quote in your notes by Douglas Moo from uh, the commentary, The Letter of James. Trial, the word trial, refers to any difficulty in life that may threaten our faithfulness to Christ. What trial is God allowing in my life right now? And how is that trial testing my trust and faith in God? There's going to be five people that email me this week. And they're going to say, you were talking about me. You know why? Because every single one of us is going through some type of trial. In varying degrees of intensity. In varying degrees of crisis. But every single one of us. You know why? Because that's life. Life is always a combination of good stuff and bad stuff happening simultaneously. Always. And if you're not experiencing any trials, just wait. You can't escape trial. Jesus couldn't escape trial. You will not escape trials in life. And so we ask the question, what trial... Is God allowing in my life right now, and how is that trial testing my trust and faith in God? In fact, let's just take a minute to name it. Not out loud, but pause for a minute. And I want you to name it in your head so that this becomes real. Nothing becomes dynamic until it becomes specific. So name it. Right now, in your head, I'm going to give a few moments of silence, and I want you to name in your head what is a trial that God is allowing in my life right now. Go ahead. Let's look at the second half of verse 12. For when he has stood the test... He will receive the crown of life. Get through that trial, remaining faithful, remaining trusting in Christ, and you will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. To use the words, in other words, we, we get through hard stuff today by looking forward to that day that Jesus comes back and doles out rewards, because there will be rewards to use the words of Michael Allen, heavenly mindedness provides the oxygen and energy to remain faithful to God when we are facing trials. In other words, if you, if you become myopic and you just see this trial in front of you, you don't look through it to the fact that as I endure this and keep faithful to Jesus through this pain, through this suffering, through this temptation, whatever it is, if I stay faithful to Jesus, I will receive a reward that's worth it one day. Put simply, if you want to get really good at enduring trials and remaining faithful to Christ, train your mind to think about our heavenly finish line. We receive strength for the moment by dwelling on our future rewards for faithfulness. That's Romans 8.18. For the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. 
In 2007, I lost my mind and ran the Akron Marathon. Like, the whole thing. The entire thing. It was insane. I don't recommend it unless you're going to be getting engaged at the end of it. But other than that, that's Justin and Hannah. That's a nod to them, a tip of the hat. Other than that, don't do it. There's no need. We believe you. Uh, And so I did this marathon, and um, mile 22, like everyone told me, there's like a wall that you hit at mile 22. Has anyone ever, who's run a marathon? I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one in here. Are you kidding me? Besides you two, I know that. All right, all right, so three of us has done this. So mile 22 is horrible, and they tell you that you want to quit. And I was like, I'm not going to want to quit. I am Are you kidding me? I've run a 20-miler. I'm good. So mile 22, and my body starts to shut down. Like I can feel my organs shutting down. It's one of the few times in my life I literally was thinking, I might just stop. I might just die. And I kept going because what I kept thinking was, because back in the day, at the end of the marathon, you'd run into... um, was it the Rubber Ducks back then? Their stadium, and everyone's cheering, and you know it's a big finish line. Everyone crosses the same finish line, whether you're first place or last place, and everyone, there's people there cheering for you. So I kept thinking to that moment, I'm not quitting on mile 22, because when I get to the finish line, there's at least going to be 17 people left cheering for me, and I cannot let those people down, even if it's just my family. I will not let them down. i got to cross the finish line. We... We're made to get through the yuck of today by fixing our eyes on our heavenly reward, our heavenly finish line. If you don't think about heaven much, you should. You should think about that every day in a variety of creative ways. If you get bored thinking about heaven, it's not heaven's fault. It's something we should think about all the time, because only that will influence how we live now. Doug Moo says, and this is in your notes, the contemplation of heaven's rewards is found throughout the New Testament as a spur to our faithfulness in difficult circumstances here on earth. Keeping our eyes on the prize can help motivate us to maintain spiritual integrity when faced with the temptations and sufferings of earthly life. A fancy way of saying is our ethics is informed by our eschatology. In other words, how we act now, our ethics is informed by our eschatology. What's going to happen when Jesus comes back? So in every trial, there's a test of our faith in God. But there's something else in every trial too. It's not just a test. There's another T, which I love as a pastor. Verses 13 through 15, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Here's your next fill in the blank. In every trial, there is a test and there is a temptation. The first thing we need to say about temptation is 
Temptation, in and of itself, is not a sin. Temptation is a thought that comes into your mind. Most of the time, it seems to come out of the blue. You're not looking for it. It just comes into your mind. That in itself is not a sin. A lot of people just beat themselves up because they're constantly getting barraged by temptations, which happens when you're, it's called a spiritual warfare. It's one of the ways that Satan comes after us. He barrages us with these temptations, and then he adds intensity to them. So when a thought comes to your mind that's tempting, don't beat yourself up. Just stop thinking about it. Think about something else. Replace it. You are not in sin. It becomes sin as we begin to entertain and play with that thought. As we allow it to linger. And the longer you allow a temptation to linger in your mind, the more power it has over you. The more intense it becomes, the more its claws just grip into you. And if you let it there for too long, it will get to a place where you cannot resist it. You just can't. The longer you allow the temptation to sit, the more difficult it will be to deny yourself that temptation. It's best to cut off temptation at its weakest point. You know where its weakest point is? Immediately when it comes to mind. And you don't beat a temptation by trying to stop thinking about it. It's like, I've done this before. Stop thinking about a pink elephant right now. The rest of your day, and I'm not apologizing, you'll be thinking about that pink elephant. But if you replace, you can't resist temptation that way. You have to replace it with another thought. Guess what works really well? Guess what you can replace temptation with that works really, really well? Scripture. You can memorize it. I don't believe you. You can memorize Scripture. You can. And if you can't, then carry it around on a pocket. Make it portable somehow. Replace temptation with scripture, other thoughts, other things, but cut it off at its weakest point, which is immediately. In every trial, there's a seed of temptation that will surface from within, and the way we resist temptation is through faith in God. Now, follow me on this. Here's what I mean by that. Did you hear me? The way we resist temptation is through faith in God. What do I mean by that? Faith always believes, this is your next fill in the blank, faith always believes what God is offering me is far better than what this temptation is offering me. You have to believe that at a gut level or this won't work. That's what faith is. Faith always believes what God is offering me is far better than what this temptation is offering me. So we have to get really, really good at exercising delayed gratification. Will we deny ourselves temporary relief or indulgence by faith in God in order to receive an infinitely better reward later? That's delayed gratification. A temptation offers us an ounce of fleeting pleasure followed by a gigaton of misery and heartache. 
Obedience through faith in Christ costs us an ounce of self-denial, followed by a gigaton of well-being and peace in Christ. What James is telling us is the way you grow in your ability to resist temptation is to extend the horizon of your sight beyond the present moment to the reward that Christ has purchased for you. How do you resist temptation? You move the horizon of your focus past the immediate effect that this temptation will offer you right before it kills you. You move it past that to that day when Jesus is coming back. And you will receive rewards now too. But the greater reward will be when he comes back. Some of the rewards that you might receive now. A more loving disposition towards people because temptation always offers a way to objectify yourself or somebody else. Every temptation. So you will, you will one of the rewards, the immediate rewards is you will, God will cultivate in you a disposition of love and affection and gentleness in you. One of the rewards that you'll get is humility. One of the rewards that you get is, is clear-mindedness. One of the rewards you get is you won't feel weird around other Christians. One of the rewards that you get is God will ma manifest himself to you in a unique way that brings joy and delight to your heart. That's John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Satan's goal for you is when you're in a trial, when you're feeling a temptation, is to shred you. You know what, you know what Jesus called it? He wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to destroy you. He wants you to become a shadow of who you actually were made to be. He wants to dampen your personality. He wants to make you smaller. And he wants to, he wants to destroy the community around you. Every single one of us. I know there's 10 of you that are going to send me emails and say, was that, I'm struggling with stuff, was that about me? Every single one of us is in the battle every day. That's why we might as well get used to being honest about it. Our discipleship pods are designed to not let you hide. You've some of you heard me say, I got this from somebody else, but when you, when you meet a man, you know what you meet? You meet his, his fig leaf. In other words, you meet a person who's hiding. This is true of every dude and every lady. When I meet someone and when you meet me, you're meeting a projection of me that I want you to think I actually am. Every one of you. I do the same thing. What if actually we got to a place relationally where we trusted one another and we were actually able to quit pretending we were so spiritual and so good and we were able to be honest about the real struggles 
That would be compelling. That would be a church I'd want to be a part of. What if this was a place where you couldn't hide? What's the reward? What's the reward of looking past this temptation to the day that Jesus comes and to the rewards on the other side of faithfulness and saying, I'm not going to give in to this. I'm going to text my, my guys or my ladies in my discipleship pod or my hospitality night or the, the people I'm friends with. That, if you're not in it, it doesn't matter. People I'm friends with that south side, people that love me, people that care about me, I'm going to text them and tell them I'm struggling right now. What would be the reward of that? What's the reward that God's talking about that he'll dole out when he comes back as we not just survive, but we remain faithful to him through all the trials, all the tests, all the temptations of life? What's the reward? You ready for this? I have no idea, but I do know it's going to be amazing. You know why? Because in 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. He's daring you to remain faithful to him and saying, I will make it work. You can't even imagine how good it's going to be. It will be worth it. Do you believe me? That's called faith. We are over halfway to Christmas. And I, yes, we, we are. You can do the math, Jay, all right? Jay's calling me out in front of the church. We are over halfway to Christmas. You know what's amazing about that? There are people in your life who give really great presents, right? I am so grateful to be part of a family that gets really great presents, Everybody in my family, very thoughtful about presents. I love Christmas. Give me some presents. I'm going to be consumer. I don't care. You guys rebuke me. I love getting presents too. I love giving them, but I love getting presents. So it, you love those people. I mean, I, we love everybody. You know what I'm saying. But you know the people who give you really great presents. And then there are people who give presents I'm tempted to, nobody knows them, they're not around, they're not anywhere here, but I'm going to tell you a present I got one time from one person. It said, um, it was a t-shirt that said, a waste is a terrible thing to mind. And then on the back it said, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. And I was like, I don't even understand this, but thank you so much. But they would always give me these awkward presents. And I would have, my mom and dad would always be like, you have to act really happy when you open it. Like, that's not helping my people-pleasing, but you have to act really happy when you open it. So there are people that you have to kind of force yourself, like, oh, not really looking forward to what they're getting me. But when I go to this person's house, I'm really excited about it. Now, see through the sinful disposition of that, of that illustration and listen to me. God does not give lame stuff. He doesn't give lame stuff now, and he certainly won't when he comes back with his reward. The reason why you can withstand temptation is because you have a God who says, you can't even imagine what I have in store for you if you remain faithful. Every trial contains within it a test and a temptation. Our aim is to remain steadfast and faithful to Christ in every trial. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.